Every day we hear that law enforcement officers need more training. They need better training. And I agree with that. Law enforcement is constantly evolving. Things change, procedures change, laws change. We need better training. But where do agencies turn to? You turn to Vertra. The company was founded in 1993 and has been developing and producing proprietary simulation training ever since. Now, I had the honor and privilege of visiting Vertra, and I went through this training, this simulation training, which was unbelievably realistic and jaw-dropping. This is the best simulation training I have ever went through. My next guest you're going to love. He is the VP of Training and Curriculum for Vertra, Lon Bartel, who brings his wealth and experience as a law enforcement officer of many years to the company, developing the next generation of training for our brave men and women who serve. Lon Bartel from Vertra, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Such a great show we have in store for you. Special thanks to you, the criminal justice professional and military professionals and veterans out there. Thank you for listening to the CJ Evolution Podcast. If you love the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to you. The criminal justice professional, first responder, thank you for what you do every day. And remember this. You were honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the great work. Every department's goal is to keep their communities, the public, and their officers safe. The key to making this happen is with realistic and effective training. That's exactly what Vertra does. Vertra provides immersive simulators, multi-branching interactive scenarios, and real-world training tools to law enforcement in over 40 countries worldwide. With training situations that deal with everything from de-escalation and duty to intervene, all the way to marksmanship and multi-incident active shooter drills, officers can practice verbal skills, de-escalation techniques, and increase their practical skills with tools they actually use in the field. Virtua simulators can use real firearms and less lethal devices that officers deploy while on duty. With no permanent modification required, officers can even use their own service weapons and less lethals for simulation training. Virtua does not rely on bulky headsets that restrict vision and can cause VR sickness, minimizing the negative effects and training scars that some simulation training creates. Virtua scenarios are filmed with real actors, not computer-generated characters, creating a more lifelike interaction and bringing in the human factor that is necessary to effective and realistic training. Agencies like FLETC, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and local, state, and federal police utilize Virtua simulation training with great success and measured positive results. Virtua makes it easy to get started with initial and continued support, on the operation of your department simulator. There are several training grants available as well, and Vertra will even help you guide to see what assistance you might qualify for. Realistic and effective training is absolutely necessary to protect not only the public, but your officers as well. Put your training budget to the best possible use with a Vertra simulator and give your officers what they need to be safe. Vertra where fortune favors the trained. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Very excited to have my next guest on the show, Lon Bartel. He is the vice president of training and curriculum for Vertra, and that is a leading edge simulation and training company that provides training products and services within the military and law enforcement space. We're going to talk about the amazing work he does for our first responders. But first, Lon, tell us about your background, brother. Um, I, you know, yeah, I did a little over 20 years as a cop here in Arizona. Thanks um, for your service. Thank you, man. I, I come via law enforcement a little bit different route. My actual background, sports medicine, my my bachelor's degree, exercise sports science, my my master's degree in applied exercise phys, and then I'm certified through a bunch of organizations like National Strength Conditioning Association, National Academy of Sports Medicine. Um, so I, I come via law enforcement a little bit different route, and it's it has absolutely painted or directed and colored my view of training yeah. because of all the time that I spent working with athletes. Yeah, exactly. And and we're going to talk a lot about training today. You are former law enforcement brother. Again, thank you for your service. You see the changing environment in law enforcement right now. It's been changing. It's definitely changed in, since 2019, since I've retired. What areas do you think are going to be the main focus going forward? You hit one of them, training. Any Anything else? Um, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff. Here's here's the one thing I will say. I, th I think pendulums swing, right? Yeah. I don't know how far we're going to continue to swing the direction that it's been going. Um, the challenge that you run on with every pendulum is the further it goes one way, the further it snaps back the other way. And yeah. and I'm I'm concerned with either extreme. Yeah. Um, that's not the nature of law enforcement, right? I mean, in Arizona, I wasn't a police officer. I'm a peace officer, peace officer by statute, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to see either extent, you know, either extreme. Um, but we do see right now it's 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 been going this way with less and less um, media and politicians and high profile folks talking to them and 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 showing less than a supportive environment. I'm not so sure that our communities reflect that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talk to a lot of folks that the communities. You know, especially communities that are hit the hot with the highest amounts of crime, they want cops there. Exactly, I still see that. So, uh, you know, I, I know we're at least at the show floor. I'm going to call it the show floor because that's the media and the politicians and everybody that get all the have all the clout within a social media space. Um, less than supportive in general, but I'm not so sure society as a whole feels the same way. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that you're going to see more and more backlash as we're, we see more and more stats on what happens when you start pulling out police service, when you start showing that uh, you don't support the police. Um, I don't know of any large agency as of right now that isn't struggling to actually hire uh, because people don't want to get into the field. Um, I got family members, uh, you know, that are working in Phoenix PD, and I got friends still from the department where I retired, um, you know, and I hear from them on a routine basis. Uh, I didn't get into the job because of uh, money. I mean, I was made money other ways. I had no problem making money. Mm -hmm. um, I got into it because it was a calling. I believed in it. Um, and, you know, you still have people that are doing that, but it's getting harder and harder when, at least on the show floor, and that's where I'm going to keep saying it, you just don't see the same level of support. Yeah. So I th I'm hoping that that changes eventually and we start going back to 
you know, actually supporting publicly and, and in print and in news media, supporting our law enforcement officers all the way across the country. Yeah. Um, training definitely, I think, is going to change. I hope training changes the right way. That's one of my big it's one of my big pet peeves. What do you what do you what do you mean by that, Lon? What, training the right way. So uh, there's a group called IADLEST, International Association of Directors of Law Enforcement Standards mm -hmm. and Training. They're all the post directors. Uh, myself, Force Science, some other people. We we helped write an electronic document for them on um, the science behind training. And that's again, that's that's my passion. That's my love. When I got into the academy, I really thought that I would see everything that I knew about training skills from my academic work and my work with athletes. Cause there's, there's so much money, there's so much research, mm -hmm. so much time about teaching skills, intense, uncertain, rapidly evolving situations of sport that just also happens to coincide with law enforcement. Um, and, and there was so much of it there. And I figured in the, when I hit the Academy, everything that I saw and everything I knew about training these type of skills in, in high arousal, high anxiety type events, I would see in the academy, mm -hmm. not not at all. I saw behavior skills training methodology that we said, hey, look, in the 70s, it's is less than effective. So I'm like, all right, I'll get through the academy and I'll get into AOT, advanced officer training. When I get into AOT, then I'm sure all of this science that's behind sports is going to be here because we're talking about people's lives. We're not talking about a ring a belt, a trophy. We're talking about people's lives. Exactly. I get an AOT. I still don't see it. It wasn't until I got involved in the SWAT community. Um, and I'm one of the guys that started the state SWAT association, the Arizona Tactology Association back in the day. It wasn't until I started getting the SWAT training where I started to see it. And a lot of reasons why is because our tier one groups actually have sports performance coaches that are attached to them. And you see them altering how the training is done to coincide with what the science says. Sure. So a lot of those folks then get out, either go into law enforcement, get out, start their own training companies. And you start seeing bits and pieces of what we know about sport to actually trickle in. So when I say I hope I see the change, what I hope is you see the changes in the way that it's done, not just, well, just throw more training at it. Because more inefficient or inefficient training, more horrible training is not better. It's better quality training that we need. And I'll give you, you know, a couple of examples. If I'm sitting at a podium and I'm pontificating, that ain't training. It's education. I, I'm lecturing. Number one, I don't know if you learned anything, but we talk oh, about no training. measure. <laughs> but we talk about training. Yeah, we're talking about ex, uh, implicit tasks and skills. We're not talking about being able to regurgitate some type of explicit information. You know, uh, hey, I want you to, uh, uh, you know, read from uh, Shakespeare, right? Uh, okay, that's explicit information, but doesn't mean that I have the ability to do a task or a skill. I can, I can read the policy. I can tell sure. you what the policy says. Doesn't mean that I have the ability to apply the concepts of the policy in a tense and certain rapidly evolving situation. You do that by building those, those contextual environments critical and then actually engaging and doing that. Um, and having the, things, the right people doing that. Correct. Yeah. 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 One of the things that I get to, I, I still do a lot of teaching, not only do all the stuff that I do with, with virtual, I also uh -huh. uh, teach for one of the largest or the largest manufacturer of force on force equipment in, in the, in the world. And then I help teach uh, uh, force sciences method of instruction course, which deals with a lot of the, the science that, that you know you and I are kind of talking about right now. 
And it's amazing to me as I go across the country, just how little we really, what we really see when it comes to instructor development in teaching these critical tasks and skills. Um, you know, I talk to officers on a routine basis and I, I speak to the illusional learning. I got trainers that have no idea what the illusional learning is. I'm going, okay, well, short version, if, and I'll make a tennis, I'll use a tennis application. If I'm your tennis coach and I send a ball to you so that you're going to do a forehand return over and over again, forehand return, forehand return, you start looking good because you know where the ball is. You've already processed yeah, the already, solution yeah. and now you're going to do the solution, process it, do it, process it, do it. You, you're giving me the solution to the problem that you've already solved. Mm -hmm. But that's not law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, we really function in a decision skill world, right? So experts know where to look, teach cops where to look, and teach them how to interpret that inf information and then make decisions. Um, and, and I get, don't get me wrong, I, I was a competitive shooter. I love shooting. Mm -hmm. I have a blast doing it. But I don't have to have people that can shoot dimes if I have people that know how to read the environment and can make a decision <laughs> absolutely. When to shoot or when not to shoot, even if they shoot groups like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just did a presentation up at Leap as part of SHOT Show, Law Enforcement Education Program. And I'm like, look, I grew up as a hunter uh, with my grandfather listening to Johnny Orton in his Ford F-150 pickup truck looking for deer. Um, and my grandfather could not shoot dimes. My grandfather was blind in one eye because he got kicked with a boot, but he could see a buck's rack and knew how to find deer like a pro. He never got skunked because he knew where to look and how to interpret the information. Absolutely. I was a better shooter than he was. I got skunked all the time. But, but the, the bigger picture is what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's we get so fixated on the skill, um, but the reality is what we do is is more so about C and this, you know, this is something that's covered in the MOI class, and it's a concept of constraint, uh, constraint -led, tra uh, led training. See, plan, do. You got to be able to figure out where you should be looking, understand what what's important, be able to filter it out, make the plan, and then carry it out. But we love focusing on the do. You know, we love focusing on well, I'm gonna draw and fire two rounds, and draw and fire two rounds, and draw and fire two rounds. And I'm like. Yeah, uh, you're standing upright. Your and it's hair a static, is perfectly... and, and, and it's a static environment. No decisions no, to make. No decision to make. Dr pump in adrenaline and life and death scenarios, and then it changes the ball game. And in perfect conditions, and, yeah, which is yeah. not what happens. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's... when I say I want to see the right training, it's not just a matter of more. You can actually get into the science behind it. Science is pretty clear. Um. If I'm using what's called a spacing effect, I can actually spend less time training and get more transfer. Transfer means actual learning. Transfer means I take what I did in my training environment and now I can apply it to a new competitive environment or a novel event. And when I say novel event, I meant the gunfight you weren't planning for. Um, and, and we don't use that spacing effect. We like to cram everything in one day and you know, working with shooters, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to go do eight hours on the range. And I'm going, I can't get eight hours of somebody on the range. I might get two hours spread out over eight mm -hmm. and a lot of jaw jacking and tired and fatigue and everything else. I'd rather have less time more frequently than give me eight hours every six months. Absolutely. I don't want, I, it's so, not helping me or my so shooters. It's just, 
so it's just a matter of you kind of changing that mindset of okay where we've been and where we're going right and yeah. we have we have to take a new approach to this especially within recent events we were talking about this before we started with use of force and, and every department now is probably looking at their use of force policy and you know okay what we, what do we need to tweak and what do we where do you think that's going Lon, with with use of force and I know that's a broad question, but I'll ask anyway. I mean, you were a cop for a long yeah. time. I was. I mean, but now with recent events, we all know Tyree Nichols and all this other thing, you know, other events in recent years, use of force obviously is on the, you know, the front burner now. Yeah. Um, so one of the problems I think you run into you teach is this. you're an expert at this. Yeah, I, I do a lot of expert witness stuff. I, I go across the country talking about use of force stuff in, in court cases and yeah. Everybody typically knows about the ones where I'm, you know, defending the cop, but I also have the ones where I'm not defending the cop. Yeah. I'm actually on the other side of the fence because nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. That's just absolutely. the reality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are folks that are out there that have absolutely made every every fantastic, amazing, you know, sacrificing officer look bad because of what they've done. Um, and I do get brought into some of those cases from time to time. Um, don't hear as much of it because sometimes, you know, they don't want to hire me when, you know, but it is what it is. But you got to um, look at both sides. You got to look at both yeah, sides. You got to be objective. But I think that what we're seeing is a reaction to try to to do something, right? Oh, my gosh, that person was hurt. We have to do something. Okay, but what? Just because you want to do something that sounds great, that feels good, doesn't mean you're doing good. And I'll give you probably my best example. Uh, lateral vascular neck restraint, a carotid control. All mm -hmm. right. So um, if if you go to the science and uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Christina Hall and, and uh, Chris Butler have written some great pieces on this, you can find it actually in peer-reviewed published research and there's a lot of research out there on a vascular neck neck restraint lateral vascular neck restraint carotid control whatever you want to call it and the safety of it um and and i'll tell you that this morning at 6 a.m i had a uh, lateral vascular neck restraint placed on me a couple of times rolling around with guys half my age <laughs> in in my pjs getting choked out right so my point being is you have so many of these events all across the country in a competitive environment where it, you know, safe outcome, safe outcome, the research and the science says it's a safe outcome, but, Oh, we've got to do something. You, you know, he choked that guy. Mm, hold on. Don't confuse creating an environment within the physiology where the person loses consciousness with strangulation mm -hmm. and people like bringing it all together. And we start seeing, you know, George Floyd. Oh my gosh. Look what he did. He, he, you know, he, he was on that guy's neck. Show me the video where he's on the guy's neck. Number one, show me where the airways compromised in any way, shape or form. But what was the big call, right? Eight can't wait. You got to ban the lateral vascular neck restraint. We got to ban that. Okay. What fills the void? You pull, exactly. you, you pull something out that has been effective. If you go to Kansas city, uh, Kansas City and the Lindell uh, uh, method, they've been using a lateral vascular neck restraint, um, I think it's for over 45 years, and they've collected the data. Um, they used to print uh, uh, every five years, they would print like a report, um, but they have used it and they've shown its safety and its efficacy and all kinds of stuff. But you start removing a tool like that, something fills the void. 
And what's going to fill that void? The problem is then you pull it out and it was an effective tool that decreased injury that if, you know, people that want to scream about it, show me your research and the science that established it was the cause of death. And that's where people start backtracking. Um, and I was on a call with an individual from a very large chief organization, and they were talking about science-based, science-based. I said, okay, well, show me the science that says a lateral vascular neck restraint is unhealthy or dangerous. And he flat out said on, on this podcast, well, it really isn't there, but it's just, you know, public perception. Oh, perception. Hold okay. on a sec. So you know, Phoenix PD right now, uh, yeah. the chief has sent out their use of force policy for public input. I don't hire an electrician, have him show up to my house and tell him to how to do his job. I don't do bring a mechanic in and tell him how I want, you know, the car work done on my, my vehicle. I don't tell my doctor how I want to make an incision. The folks that have to determine the best practice on that are the individuals that do that and are, are educated about it. But that's not the people that are making the decisions when we start doing this. We're letting people that, I, don't get me wrong, I think a lot of them, not everybody, but a lot of them want to do good. Yes. Doesn't mean what their answer is, is actually good. Um, you get secondary tertiary effects. You create all kinds of problems. Um, you and I were talking about the, also the realities. You know, everybody's screaming about, oh my gosh, use of force, use of force. 52 million contacts last year? Yeah, 52. How Two, many of those? Line? Yeah, less than 2% force was used on average. And the, the data on this hasn't changed, which is bizarre. You know, when you look at the violent crime going up, but law enforcement in reality, you know, we're involved in about 900, about 1,100 shootings, um, you know, where people are actually die every year. That's that's fairly consistent, you know, and and the public doesn't understand that. The public thinks it's it's significantly more than that. They don't have a realistic understanding of what use of force is, how interpersonal violence really truly works. And God bless them that they don't, but they don't understand how challenging it is to actually control somebody. You know, um, well, they should have just done this or should have just done that. You know, my favorite was, oh, they should have just transitioned to the taser or transition oh, yeah. to this. Or, or like, shoot, my favorite was shoot in the leg or the arm or something Which like is that. still deadly force. Yeah, which so is I'm, still deadly force. But, I mean, come on. So I, I, I shoot somebody in the leg. I hit a femoral artery. And he bleeds out anyway. Yeah. Or I miss and it becomes a to whom it may concern. Because, right, we, we shoot center mass because it's the least likely to miss. It's the exactly. easiest. It's the easiest target. Hey. But, but I think so part of the problem is, too, and I'd love to get your input, is the world we live in right now. We, you and I started a long time ago. We didn't have, you know, social media wasn't big. And, and so I think the problem is, is that people now, they look at an incident that happened, you know, with law enforcement and, and you know, they see it and they just run with it. And then the worst thing is, is that you got the media now to play a huge factor in, in stoking these fires, in my opinion. Not all the media, but you know what I mean, some of them. And, and it just stokes the fire that every cop is out there. They don't, they're not trained, which is furious me. Uh, yeah. Cops are trained. Do yeah. we need more training? Do we need to tweak our training? Better, like training. Yeah. That better training? Absolutely. But this whole notion that we just, you go to the Academy, you get a badge, you're sworn in and you're off on the street with no training. It's freaking ridiculous. It irritates me. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there is a part that I understand and, and let's talk about that. So, your average person it, watching news at, at channel, you know, uh, on channel, whatever. Right. And they see a use of force event. Let's talk about realities. We as human beings 
really struggle with seeing true violence. Most mm -hmm. people, you know, it's this 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 weird, you know, back and forth. There is absolutely nothing I can do about hitting somebody with a metal pipe and making it look palatable. And a baton is a metal pipe. There is nothing that I can do about putting holes in someone and hearing air coming in and out of those openings and make it look palatable. Mm -hmm. Good people see that and they, gosh, there's got to be a better way. And most cops would love to be that there was a better way, but there's not necessarily. So I understand their motivation and it's well-placed, I think, in a lot of cases, but it is severely misinformed. Um, and again, most people have never been involved in an actual physical fight or have to control somebody. I mean, I've been to the you know last time I taught down at the Tucson Academy, they split the class up. It was a fifty kid kid, fifty person class. <laughs> Sorry, no, I, I'm on the same boat, brother. <laughs> so twenty five and twenty five, and I'm you know I'm running uh, a fist suit. I'm I'm the bad guy. That's that's my role, right? And uh, I, I got a kid that uh, um, I'm I'm like in a cross body position with him, and I pop my head up to give him a target. I'm trying to feed him the solution. So I pop my head up and he's trying to bench press me off. And I'm like, dude, I'm six foot tall, 240. You ain't bench pressing me off. So I get down in his ear and I'm like, you better hit me. And I pop back up and he's still trying to bench press me. I get back in his ear and I'm like, dude, if you don't start hitting me, I'm going to start hitting you. And I pop back up and he's not hitting me. So I start slapping him. I'm not dropping elbows on him or hammer fists, yeah, but I'm yeah. slapping him around a little bit. And I get back in his ear again. And, and finally he does. He starts, you know, getting a palm heel strike. He starts creating some space. He's able to get away from me. Awesome. But when I get everything done and I start asking this group of people, because I'm really struggling with what I saw as far as their their real their abilities. I'm like, how many of y'all have ever, ever been in a fight? None of them, right? None of them had ever been in a fight in, in school or anything else. I said, okay, well, how many of y'all have ever out of 50, how many of y'all ever played any type of competitive sports? Eight. Eight have ever, you know, played any type of competitive sports. I'm like, law enforcement's a contact sport. Yeah, exactly. It, really, on. it truly, truly can be a contact sport. Now, I think more often than not, it's a game of chess, but it turns into, you know, a rugby match from time to time after the chess match, right? So... Even the folks that are getting into the career, they don't always understand just how challenging or difficult it is. Um, you know, do you talk to most cops? Who are the worst people to have to, you know, arrest? Number one, high school collegiate wrestlers. Yeah. Right. You get you got folks with <laughs> cauliflower ears like, bro, can we talk about this? You know, I mean, you know the fight's on. Or you know, the 115 pound, you know, skinny, wiry female tweaker who's going to just yeah. cat scratch the snot out of you. Yeah. Um, but people don't understand. It's not as easy as it seems. It's not what, what and I understand where they're primed. They're primed in TV and the media, which is yeah. the same folks that end up we working against. Because on the TV, well, it should go like this. And in the media, well, you know, it should go like this. Or movies. Oh, look how easy it is in the movies. Well, and I think, too, is there's a reliance now. I think with and, and I shouldn't just pick on young cops, but, you know, even veterans, 
out there, but I think more so young, younger generation is, well, I have my taser and have all these intermediary weapons that I could have pepper and all this other shit. Okay. That's great. What happens if the taser doesn't work? What happens if the pepper doesn't work? You're going to have to, to your point, Lon, it's a hand that's hands-on sport. You're going to have to go hands-on to cuff this person at some point. Yeah. Right. Yep. And once you get well, that first cuff on most of the time, the fight's on. Look at, look, go through those use of force options. I bent a baton over somebody and it didn't affect them real reality when and i've sprayed a ton of recruits in the academy we will always get a couple percentage points that it just doesn't affect yeah, them it doesn't affect right add alcohol or drugs to the mix it doesn't affect and taser back in the day you know when they were pushing out their own research said that the the device was effective 60 percent of the time in the field let me state that another way 40 percent of the time it fails <laughs> right yep so you know, don't get me wrong. It's a great device. I was a master instructor and, 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 you know, I've used it multiple times and yeah. leaving it, but it's not a guarantee. None of the devices that we have are a guarantee. You're, you're going to have situations. It's not a viable solution. It's not going to work, whatever it ends up being. Nothing's a hundred percent. And you still end up having to go on at some point in time, have to go hands on at some point in time. Even the belief that, you know, people are handcuffed, Oh, they're handcuffed. They're no longer a threat. No. And that's not true either. It's not true. No. Control is an illusion, right? We we get cuffs on somebody. We can get them to the point sometimes where they believe it's not worth it to fight anymore. And they will sometimes usually stop fighting. It's not a guarantee. Absolutely. Right? I mean, people slip cuffs, pop their wrists out, continue to fight, bite, kick, any number of things. Cuffing does not necessarily mean everything's good to go. It ain't all code four. People no. don't get that. They don't understand that. Well, it's, you know, it's like you said before. I think it's just you know, what they watch on the movies and television. You know, as well as I do, half the people that know about what law enforcement do on a daily basis, they get it off these television shows. Like a third of cop or shows out there are like cop forensic shows, which I'm not, you know, saying they're bad. I'm just saying that. People look at that. It's like the CSI effect. You've heard of that before, right? Oh, yeah. Where, you know, I mean, well, how come you can't lift this print off this uh, brick right here? They did it off CSI Miami. I mean, that's what I watched the other day. And so people get this preconceived notion of what law enforcement is doing on a daily basis, you know, and, and then they bring that into a jury, for example. Yeah. yeah. And now you got to convince them, unscrew what they just learned on television and say, it's all right, even... here's here's the reality. It's even harder than that, right? So let's talk about a concept of implicit bias, mm -hmm. right? That was the big one. Oh, we got to train cops because of their implicit bias. Well, number one, go to the research. Bias is a reasoning strategy, mm -hmm. right? We, we throw the term on it, bias, as if it's, oh my gosh, this is horrible. It's a reasoning strategy and everybody has a bias of some type. Implicit means it's underlying and you're not even aware of it. So that's the concept of implicit bias, but everybody has it. So- whether that implicit bias could be absolutely based on race, not saying that it isn't. We know that the research shows that that's that's there in the population as a whole, not just law enforcement. Yeah. But yeah. there's other biases that are here. How do we get those biases? Well, the environment. Yeah. Environment. <laughs> so if people see movies and it affects them, even at a subconscious level, they might be consciously aware. But at a subconscious level, they think they understand law enforcement. It's because of the reference points that they have. And they're all false. They're all fiction. They're all made for TV movies. And, and, and 
to try to get people to understand that it's not that I'm trying to teach people something they don't know. I have to unteach them exactly. what they don't realize they think they know or they do know, <laughs> which is a challenge. Something. Oh, <laughs> to get people to let go of what they think they know. It's like you, you, you don't have a clue. And well, again, oh, go ahead. God go bless ahead. them. They're trying, yeah. but they don't get it. A lot of yeah. them just don't. Or they refuse, you know, you know, yeah. I mean, it's very hard, you know, to, to, especially I think as we get older to, to try to change somebody's mind once they have it, you know, you could throw all the data and science at them. And I, I think sometimes it's still difficult. You know that. Absolutely. Don't confuse me with the facts. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who needs facts, right? I tell you what though. So um, there's a, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Erica Gaines I do a lot of work with Erica. Erica is this amazing uh, individual who's trying to do great things with law enforcement. She's not a cop. Uh, she's, I met her initially. She was doing uh, knife sales at some of the different shows. And she's very into uh, holistic aspects as well as uh, uh, Absolutely. dynamic uh, yoga and mindfulness and a bunch of other stuff. And I get a lot of love to her. So I brought her into Vertra. Erica was very, you know, Black Lives Matter. And I bring her into into Vertra and I put her in the simulator. And uh, I actually put her through some simulated events and it changes her mindset significantly. And then I end up doing, I get on her podcast and we're at a little pizza place as I'm doing this podcast with her. And she looks at me and goes, I want to tell you that uh, I hate you. And I go, what do you hate me for? <laughs> Because you made me have to rethink everything that I thought I knew. And you know what? It takes a lot of courage to for somebody to say that. You know, you know that. That's uh, very amazing. powerful statement. But when very you, powerful. If you ever meet this young lady, um, you you quickly realize that's who she is, right? Um, and I, you know, talk to her from time to time, and she's trying to look at ways to to bring mindfulness in and and try that's to amazing. help officers, you know, not get into a condition where you know pre prefrontal cortex starts to shut down and it's real problematic so she's doing some really great things and you know big shout out but yeah i brought her in but i do that all the time i bring people into the simulator and all of a sudden everything that they think they know i have events that we do train um they're not just scenarios they're really about training and educational events uh some of it's based on the science of human performance and i'll bring people in and I have one. It's called shoot to stop or uh, uh, stop shooting, and I give you a very simple task. This task is when you get a certain signal, I want you to give me as many hits as you can, and when you get the stop signal, I want you to stop. Um, and what I can tell you is, even with the simple, non-stressful, very easy to do, the average after the stop signal for most people is an additional two to three rounds. You know, and it's like, mm. okay, well, this was a non-threatening environment where you got to see and control everything, you fired two to three additional rounds after the signal was to stop shooting. I said, and, and you're going to do it again if I if I put you in the same exact same event. If I make it more complex, sure. you're more likely to give me three rounds than you are two rounds because the more complex I make it, the more I make your vision have to bounce back and forth between focus planes and all kinds of stuff. I can increase that because it increases your time to stop shooting. I said, but we get into a situation where we start questioning, well, the officer fired five rounds. Maybe the first four were okay, but I really don't like the fifth. And I'm like, let's run some basic math. I've tested a ton of people in the population. 
most cops, most people can run a Glock trigger and they can cycle the trigger every 0.2 to 0.25 seconds. That research is clear. I've got published research on it. Um, Dr. Lewinsky and Cruz got public published research on it. There is tons of information on it. So think of it this way. Zero is my first round after the stop signal. I can get 0.2.4.6.81. Right. So at a point two, I can fire six additional rounds in a second. Yep. Second. Yep. But when I start asking people, let's say it's 0.25, right? So then you had 0.25, 0.5, 0. 0. 0.751. So five rounds. Make the math easy. And I've done public events where I've asked people, hey, how long do you think it takes an officer to fire five seconds? I will get people that will say 15 seconds. I'm like, no, not even close. <laughs> not even close. I mean, and I've got video of people running 10 rounds um, from a low ready position in two seconds, yeah. all center mass hits. Right? And I'm like, these are the realities. And when you're shooting to protect your life, I would argue probably closer on the faster end of the I was going to say, yes, yeah, especially when the adrenaline's pumping and, and you're, it's life and death. You're yeah, unloading. Probably, probably the fastest I've ever uh, tested, John Murray, um, which I've known John for a long time. John was running 0.15s to 0.16 as far as he was cycling on the trigger. And I'm like, do that math. Jesus. So, so the system talk, talk to, you know, for the, for the listeners out there line again. So Virtua, this is what they do. They build these, you, you have a system, yeah. you have this software that puts people, not I mean, law enforcement, military through these, you know, scenarios and stuff to shoot, shoot, don't shoot scenarios. Correct. Decision bigger than that. That's yeah, bigger than that. Um, bigger. so yeah, explain. So let's start with the, from the, I'm used to the old fat systems. Remember those? This is this is that with a far far greater science okay. and a lot more context. Yeah. So, um, my system, I'm going to take your weapon, your M4, your Glock, and I'm going to drop my recoil kit in it. So you're using your optic, your sling, you know your setup. It is not tethered. It is a wireless system, um, and my system. Not everybody's system, but I know my system is accurate from a, a, a latency, so computer latency of under 49 milliseconds. Milliseconds. So um, plus or minus about seven based on the testing that we did. It's it's unbelievably fast, right? So I know response times, trace times are all, always pretty accurate. But... Uh, Working out, I also have your taser because I take a real live taser and I drop our conversion kit in it, which is, you know, two laser inserts, which means if you grab onto your your X2 and your hand is too far, far forward when you activate it, you're going to snake bite yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's some realism in that component. Your OC spray, we actually take a modeled OC spray. We use our, our laser inserts in it. Um, so that it's your devices. We don't run into, we don't run into Maslow's hammer, right? Where <laughs> if all you do is give somebody a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. I can give you everything. Um, so I could do everything from, you know, all the traditional, you know, handguns that we have, uh, all the way up to what well, we do make an RPG for the military, but that's a whole nother issue. Um, <laughs> wow. but, uh, and accuracy wise, we've had it tested, um, all the way out to, uh, 0.02 mil radian, um, which for my 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 shooters out there, 
I don't know too many people that even can think uh, more accurate than that. Um, and that's working from the shooter out. One of the other things that I have that really brings it home is I call it, it's called the threat fire. And what it is, is it is a low dose remote controlled consequence device where I clip it on you. If you miss a threat angle because you're not paying attention, bad guy gets shot off. If you trip the IED and it detonates, if you get run over by the car, I can activate the system and I get a low level electric charge that will uh, uh, get your attention to let you know that you messed up. <laughs> so, all, it's your punishment. <laughs> no, it's a consequence. It's device. a consequence. Device. I it's love it. Like, it's kind of like getting hit in the love handle with a simunitions round, right? <laughs> you miss the angle. It's yeah, your... I like it. I, that's a great. I, I love that. Yeah, so it 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 definitely takes things to a completely different level. Um, in that, uh, there's a lot of realism the moment that I step you into that environment. Now, as we continue to work out, um, we film in 4K. We've been doing 4K for a long time. Um, and then I've got everything from a single screen to a five screen system. You can kind of see one in the background. Um, and I've got 300 degrees all the way around you. And I will project digital information. So, you know, 4K uh, quality uh, information onto the screen. And then those screens become a synthetic environment. That environment can be a building search. It could be an active threat, active killer event. Um, it could be a domestic violence event. It could be um, it could be educational. So we built this incredible award-winning training program, and I mean award-winning and and phenomenal in that, like the Utah's Attorney General's office literally mandated it for everybody. Um, our autism curriculum. So we built this entire autism piece with uh, uh, Southwest Autism Resource and Research Center, Stark, uh, here in the Valley. And it's about teaching first responders how to interact and how to deal with people uh, that are on the spectrum. Yeah. So it's an educational component, but there's also a behavior skills component where I'm going to call them mini scenarios where you have a role play event that takes place with somebody that's on the spectrum. And if it goes not a good way, I can rewind it and then give you another attempt at it so that you successfully are using the skills and dealing with somebody who's on the spectrum. Um, and, the, you know, from these little mini events, we do have scenarios that go along with it. So it's not always about use of force. Sometimes it's about communication skills. We've got mental illness and de-escalation, yeah. you know, so there's a lot of other aspects that, that the simulator is being used for. More than just shoot, don't shoot. And you're right. Back in the day when you and I started, yeah, it was it was basic. I mean, it was archaic. Yeah, now, this is this is next. This is the next. This is the next step up. This is next generation. And you just build off what you have right now to bigger and better in the future. Yeah, and we build the curriculum with it. So yeah. when I build like the the Sark material, it's an entire course, and I have it submitted to IADALEST for certification. So if it's a post state that accepts IATLAS, then that material is certified and the agency can use that. So one of the things that was important to me as a trainer, what I saw all the time was trainers would go to put on training and they would pull some three ring binder off the shelf and they didn't have time to go research or build something new or whatever. And they reused what had already been used. They didn't necessarily have time to update it. So yeah. 
we wanted to give complete curriculum to agencies where the written test, the pre-test, the evaluation, the, the rubric on, on skills, everything is there and it's provided and, and we don't charge for that. Right? It's, if you have our system, um, we give you that. If you have the annual update, it all comes with your updates. Yeah. Um, so we continue and I don't know, we're at like 80 some odd hours of certified curriculum at this point in time. Um, but everything from, like I said, the de-escalation, uh, uh, force encounters, um, mental illness, uh, contact cover concepts. Scenario, yeah. yeah. I mean, so foundationally we do, we do all kinds of stuff. And you can uh, always that, add to it. I mean, with yeah, a new thing. Yeah. You're always adding to it too. Well, we are adding to it. So we just, the last one that we just got certified was uh, duty to intervene. Okay. Yeah. So we actually have scenarios and, and think about it. So, you know, you're getting your, your use of force stuff mixed in and all of a sudden you also now get this duty to intervene scenario. Well, guess what? That's real life. That's realistic. Exactly. So you've got to be able to recognize what's going on. And it's, it's not, again, it's not the tool that's in your hand. It's the one between your ears that I yeah, really absolutely. want to train. I don't care what, I don't care who the manufacturer is on the side of your handgun. That is a secondary issue to the quality of the tools that you have between your ears. And the, the virtuous simulator gives me the opportunity to really make an impact on the decision-making capability, the ability to deal with and handle stress because of the opportunity to deal with stress inoculation and true, not just stress exposure, but actual work on stress inoculation skills so that I can get officers in that sandbox and they can start dealing with those situations to build better outcomes absolutely um but yeah so those are you know it's amazing some of the, some of the things that i get to do <laughs> lon bartell thank you so much buddy there is a link on the cj evolution website to vertra but if people want to reach out to you lon can they do that absolutely where, where can they find you, brother they can they can find you on the website obviously but we're we're Bartel at uh, vertra.com Thank you so much, brother, for coming on the show. Very informational. You and Vertra are doing amazing work. I can't wait to come next week and visit the facility. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe have some fun. We will make sure that you see the threat fire. <laughs> Thank you so much for your service, brother, and the wonderful work Thank you. you're doing for our military and first responders. Love to have you back on in the future, brother. Absolutely. All right. Take care, man. Take care, brother. Such a great show with Lon. If you love the audio version of this show, head over to the YouTube channel, CJ Evolution Podcast YouTube channel, to check out the video of this great interview. Links are in the show notes. Go out there, conquer your day.